What lessons have been learned five years after what nuclear expert Arnie Gunderson called the biggest industrial catastrophe in the history of mankind? Are world leaders, environmentalists, and philanthropists like Bill Gates embracing nuclear power as a necessary evil for coping with climate change? How have Japanese authorities, U.S. authorities, and the press conspired to cover up the Fukushima tragedy? What are the roots of the culture of secrecy and concealment surrounding the Fukushima disaster and the nuclear industry generally? What do the citizens of Earth have to do to break free from the mindset that brought us Fukushima and other technological nightmares? On this week's Global Research News Hour, we mark the fifth anniversary of the Fukushima nuclear disaster. Our guests are Linda Pence Gunter of the environmental advocacy group Beyond Nuclear and Earth activist and founder of Radcast, Mimi German. On this week's program, Fukushima at Five Reflections on the Crime, the Cover Up, and the Future of Nuclear. Bringing you the analysis beyond the media headlines, the Global Research News Hour is on the air. Welcome to the Global Research News Hour for the week of March 11th, 2016. I'm series host and producer Michael Welch. The Global Research News Hour is a special radio collaboration between the Center for Research on Globalization and campus community radio station CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg on Treaty 1 territory on the homeland of the Métis Nation. We seek to provide you with access to analysis of the major issues shaping our world today from thinkers, researchers, and unique political personalities rarely addressed by major media. Our program is available from the Center's website globalresearch.ca. We can also be heard on the Progressive Radio Network at prn.fm. We'll begin our show with news notes, a sampling of articles from the Global Research News site. In February, Goldman Sachs warned that in the case of Brexit, the pound sterling, quote, could lose 20% of its value, unquote. Mark Carney's statements at the House of Commons not only point in the same direction, they also provide legitimacy and credibility to Goldman's assessment. As an institutional speculator, Goldman's intent is to influence expectations regarding financial markets, backed by authoritative statements from the Bank of England. The important question, which the British media has not addressed, what is the relationship between Mark Carney and Goldman Sachs? Is there a Trojan horse within the Bank of England with Goldman Sachs sitting on the inside? That comes from the article, Who Controls the Central Banks? Mark Carney, Governor of the Bank of Goldman Sachs, by Professor Michel Chosodovsky, posted March 9th. Now with ISIS forestalled around Palmyra and Koryatin, the Syrian armed forces are in position to conduct their highly anticipated desert offensive to reclaim this oil-rich part of central Syria. Leading the way for the Syrian Arab army are the prominent commanders of the Tiger Forces, Colonel Suhail al-Hassan and Colonel Shady al-Ismail. Fighting alongside the Tiger Forces and the Syrian Arab army's 67th Brigade of the 18th Tank Division, will be the powerful pro-government paramilitary factions Liwa, Sukur, Al-Sahara, that's the Desert Hawks Brigade, Dara Kalamun, or the Kalamun Shield, the National Defense Forces, or NDF, the Syrian Social Nationalist Party, and Katebat al-Ba'ath, or the al-Ba'ath Battalions. 
In addition to the Syrian forces, a number of foreign groups are participating in the operations to liberate Palmyra, including Hezbollah, which is Lebanese, Harakat al-Nujaba, which is Iraqi, Liwa al-Badr, which is Iraqi, Liwa Imam Ali, which is Iraqi, and Katebat Hezbollah, which is also Iraqi. Overseeing all of the desert operations will be the military advisors from the Russian Marines and the Iranian Revolutionary Guard Corps. That comes from the article, The Desert Offensive Against the Islamic State, Massive Deployment of Syrian Hezbollah and Russian Forces, by Leith Fadel, posted March 9th, originally appearing at Al-Mazdar News. As Bloomberg reports, the dynamic circuit breaker on the Osaka Securities Exchange was activated at 12.32 p.m. and was applied to March contracts, according to Mosaki Takahashi, who works in the market management department at the Osaka Securities Exchange. The website of the OSE, parent, Japan Exchange's website, said the circuit breaker is triggered, quote, to temporarily halt trading in order to allow investors to calm down when the market is overly volatile, unquote. The reason for the trading halt is that a day after sliding to the lowest yield on record, on Wednesday, the benchmark 10-year bond tumbled, pushing yields up 8 basis points to minus 0.015% as of 2.51 p.m. Yields rebounded after dropping more than 5 basis points to a record minus 0.1% Tuesday. The sell-off was triggered after an increase in selling into the BOJ's POMO when the bid-to-cover ratio for debt with 10 to 20 years to maturity rose to 3.58 from 2.93 last week, indicating stronger investor demand to sell and that investors were looking to offload inventory to the BOJ. That comes from the article, Record Financial Collapse, Plunge in Japan's Government Bonds Triggers Circuit Breaker, Halts Market, by Tyler Durden, posted March 9th, originally appearing in Zero Hedge. While the BIS report provides a good rundown of recent events in the financial markets, it fails to blame central banks for any of the problems for which they alone are responsible. The sluggish performance of the global economy, the massive debt overhang, and the erratic behavior of the stock market are all directly attributable to the cheap money policies coordinated and implemented by central banks following the Great Recession in 2008. While it's true that China is facing slower growth, oil prices are plunging, emerging markets have been battered by the capital flight, and yields on junk bonds are relentlessly rising, it's also true that central bank policy is not primarily designed to address these problems, but to ensure the continued profitability of its main constituents, the big banks and mega corporations. Keep in mind the global economy has been sputtering for the last six years, but the BIS has only expressed alarm just recently. What's changed is profits are down, and when profits are down, Wall Street and its corporate allies lean on the central banks to work the levers to improve conditions. That comes from the article, A Warning from the Bank for International Settlements, The Calm Before the Storm, by Mike Whitney, posted March 10th, originally appearing at Counterpunch. 
These are just a few of the featured articles appearing last week on the Global Research website. Regular visitors to the site are encouraged to send monetary contributions by fax, mail, or online. Just go to globalresearch.ca and click Donate on the menu bar. March 11, 2011, is a date that will, or should, live in infamy. On that day, at 2.46 local time, a magnitude 9.0 earthquake struck off the east coast of the Japanese island of Honshu. The resulting tsunami crashed into the Fukushima Daiichi nuclear power facility in the Fukushima prefecture. The tsunami inundated and disabled the diesel generators operating the cooling pumps. These failures would lead to meltdowns in three of the reactor units. In the days that followed, zirconium in the cladding, or outer layers of the fuel rods, oxidized in the presence of the superheated water vapor. That chemical reaction released hydrogen gas, which got vented out into the secondary containment buildings of units 1 through 4, and exploded on contact with the ambient air, causing damage to each unit. Without adequate cooling, the fuel rods in units 1 through 3 melted through the reaction pressure vessels and is believed to be resting on the concrete at the bottom of the primary containment vessels of each unit. Authorities have been injecting fresh water and seawater into the damaged structures in order to keep the material cool. However, that contaminated water has been leaking out into the Pacific Ocean for years, Authorities began evacuations, which would ultimately extend to a 30-kilometer radius around the facility. Concerns have been raised about how the strong ocean currents off the coast of Fukushima Prefecture can move that radioactive material all the way to the west coast of North America. These concerns included declining numbers of sockeye salmon off the coasts of British Columbia and Alaska, very high levels of cesium-137 in plankton living in the waters of the Pacific Ocean between Hawaii and the West Coast, and a Stanford University study which found every single bluefin tuna that it examined off the coast of, of California contaminated with the same radionuclide. Radiation levels have increased all over North America, but especially the West Coast of North America. Ominously, the wider public has been kept in the dark about the impacts of this disaster. The independent journalist Hattrick Penry details through the numerous Nuclear Regulatory Commission documents he uncovered through Freedom of Information requests that the scale of the disaster was much broader than previously thought. In particular, the documentation reveals that concern was being expressed about whether the spent fuel rods in Units 3 and 4 had experienced a Zerk fire, and might burn through the concrete at the bottom of the containment vessel. In a free online document, he alleges a provable multi-agency cover-up of the Fukushima tragedy. The anti-nuclear anti activist Linda Pence Gunter recently wrote an article called No Bliss in This Ignorance, The Great Fukushima Nuclear Cover-Up, in which he detailed a number of efforts on the part of the Japanese government to conceal the dangers springing from the nuclear accident. They include deliberately exposing citizens, including children, to radiation limits 20 times higher than the internationally accepted norm, 
individuals evacuated to regions where the radiation levels were even higher, and now people being repatriated back to Fukushima as the government prepares to lift compensation to evacuees. I had a chance to speak with this author about the current state of the nuclear industry and about how it and human society is adapting to this five-year-old nuclear disaster. So joining me now is Linda Pence-Gunter. She is the International Specialist at Beyond Nuclear, a Tacoma Park, Maryland-based environmental advocacy group. And she's written several articles for uh, Counterpunch, as well as other publications. And, uh, well, we're going to just uh, talk a bit on the occasion of the... Uh, the, the fifth anniversary of the uh, Fukushima Daiichi tragedy. So thank you very much for joining us, uh, Linda Pence-Gunter. Thank you, Michael. According to Linda Pence-Gunter, Beyond Nuclear was conceived to reach beyond the traditional anti-nuclear movement out to the wider environmental movement, which is principally concerned with climate change, and break through the silos that separate those two movements, as well as provide resources to educate, motivate, and mobilize activists on the ground. I asked Ms. Gunter to comment on the extent to which some of those activists, like the prominent British author and commentator George Monbiot, may be tempted to embrace nuclear as a clean energy substitute for fossil fuels. Well, there are a lot of differences of thoughts floating around because I think, you know, what you started to talk about was the climate change movement. And that's uh, one thing. And I think that in that movement, the focus, I mean, in a way, the fact that nuclear has not been part of that discussion is a good sign because it's frankly just irrelevant. And so for the climate movement, they've, their focus has been on getting rid of coal. And then a lot of focus has been on fracking and natural gas and how to go the 100% renewable energy, energy efficiency route uh, without depending on fracking and natural gas instead of the other fossil fuels. And they really haven't sort of gone either way on the, on the nuclear power thing because when you look at what's actually happening in the world, nuclear power is in decline. I mean, it's financially incredibly burdensome. Utilities are closing their plants. Investments are down. Where the money's going is into wind and solar and, and renewable energy, so small hydro, geothermal. You referenced Monbiot. There have been some sort of high-profile uh, people who have, in the name of climate change, uh, appeared to endorse nuclear power. I mean, I take, you know, one of my pet peeves, although not everybody agrees with me, is that if you actually endorse nuclear power, you have to call yourself a former environmentalist. Because I, unless we're going to redefine that word, I don't see how you can be an environmentalist and support an extractive industry that contaminates the air and water potentially indefinitely, you know, from the mining, through the milling, the processing, the construction of nuclear power plants and the waste, and potentially sets up a risk that could leave vast areas uninhabitable for millennia. I mean, that's not environmentalism, in my view. You know, mm -hmm. that, if you're going to support an extractive industry like nuclear energy that could lay waste to vast areas indefinitely with radioactive contamination, then what's to say you shouldn't support coal or, or fracking? I mean, you know, it just doesn't fit the, the parameters of the definition of the word. Mm -hmm. So I think they've departed from environmentalism, but they, it's a sort of, you know, panic reaction to the very, very extremely urgent case of climate change. I mean, clearly that is our emergency and we do need to deal with it. But I don't think that there's a valid argument for dealing it with, with nuclear, um, even if it 
didn't have the waste problems and the meltdown risks, um, it just takes too long and it's too expensive and too slow. And, you know, with, uh, with distributed generation coming on, it's just not flexible. It can't come online quickly. You know, they have to shut down the refueling. It's, it's just a sort of dinosaur industry that um, has some very high profile boosters who are not going to let it get, go away. And unfortunately, people like Bill Gates, who want to throw billions of dollars into researching future projects. I mean, we just don't have time. I, I, I want to turn our attention more intensely on the, the, uh, the situation in Japan, because yeah. that is a situation where there is a major cover-up of the, of the impacts. And, and uh, I mean, there were uh, efforts taken by the government to essentially what effectively undermine the welfare of the Japanese population, apparently in defense of the industry. Yeah. So I, I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit more about, uh, well, first of all, like what happened there. Uh, like, mm. So, for example, I understand that they, uh, after the incident, they raised the acceptable radiation levels? Right. By a, I mean, there are a number of things that happened, obviously. I mean, even starting before the, it, you know, we even hesitate to refer to it as an accident because it was entirely preventable. Man-made. And, of course, the study that was done on behalf of the Japanese diet concluded that it was a collusion of government, government industry and regulator that caused this hap to happen in the first place. Um, but after it did, there were a number of things that went on, and I, I think it's all, it's all to do with trying to sort of minimize the idea of the harm that radiation can cause. We call it sort of normalizing it. You're trying to say, well, okay, so we'll just make 20 millisieverts a year exposure the acceptable rate now instead of two. And so then we don't have to move as many people. And it, it has nothing to do with medicine or science. You know, it, it's a way of sort of trying to normalize it and say, well, now we'll just accept that this is okay. And also with the evacuation, there were... I mean, people were told that, you know, it's more dangerous to evacuate than to be exposed to radiation, were kept in places far too long before they evacuated. Then the evacuation was so chaotic that people moved into areas which were actually more radioactive because of the plume pathways. No one really knew which way things were going. <clears throat> so they moved into areas that were, in fact, more dangerous than the ones they had left. And according to... Well, according to Naoto Khan, who was the prime minister at the time of the accident and is now an advocate for the end of nuclear power, and others who are speaking out, there was just this sort of conspiracy of silence, particularly between the government and the media, sort of just toe the party line, tell the public what the government's telling you, um, keep keep quiet about what what the damage really means, and then kind of present this as a something that can be cleaned up you know i mean that's the just, that we can just scoop up the topsoil and move it somewhere yeah. else yeah and ignore what nature actually does and what happens when rivers come down from mountains or you know rain falls on trees it, it, it just doesn't sort of and not looking at chernobyl and and what happened there in terms of the ecology and the studies that are being done which is sort of a you know a foretaste of what we can anticipate in japan so I think that that's not unique to Japan. There were certainly some things that were unique to Japan from a cultural perspective, you know, how things are handled, um, but, but others that are probably not unique to Japan. Um, and so we're definitely concerned that here 
the, the path is being paved for a similar kind of setup. We've got moves afoot now to revisit our radiation standards, possibly make them weaker so that if and when a disaster of that kind happens here, the standards will already be in place to allow for greater exposures than they are now. There is a push to revisit hormesis, which is basically this idea that a little radiation, in fact, is good for you. Um, there's lots of sort of myths sown about, well, you know, if you live in Denver or eat bananas or whatever, you're already getting exposed to radiation. But, it's a, you know, that's not the same kind of radiation. Flying in an airplane is cosmic radiation. It goes in and out of your body. This kind of radiation exposure from accidents, you know, it binds to your organs. It binds, the strontium will bind into your bones. So it changes DNA, causes birth defects and gener generations ahead. Um, so you know, that all these myths abounded in Japan in a society which was used to sort of just doing what it's told. Mm -hmm. And I think the most telling thing really was the, the demonstrations that started to take place. That was kind of unprecedented to see that many people in the street demonstrating about anything, and particularly something like this. So mm. there's now, I think, a little bit of a sort of scales off the eyes experience there where people are saying, you know, we trusted, we trusted that this would be, when the plant came, we thought, great, you know, jobs, no one told us what the dangers are. And, and that's true even here, I think, in Canada and the U.S., people have no idea what this stuff is, or you can't see it, taste it, smell it. No I've, one really knows what it does. Yeah. Well, just as a, an example of that, I understand there is a study that was done where they were looking at tuna off the coast of California, and they found mm -hmm. that all of it contained a radioactive cesium-137. Yes, I mean, I, I, I'm not familiar with the details of that study, but obviously we know that it biomagnifies, you know, through the food chain. So, and tuna, uh, uh, top of the fish food chain. <laughs> so, obviously, yes, you would expect they're, they're the right fish to look at because that's where you'd see the highest concentrations. I think there's a big concern about what might get into the food supply, yeah. clearly. Mm. Um, it doesn't, you know, this idea that it wasn't really a big deal and it, it's over now and everyone can move back and no one died is just an incredibly shallow effort to normalize and neutralize what is in fact a catastrophic impact it's, not only in japan but around the world and and can happen again and will if we don't learn the lessons and we appear unwilling to do so yeah i i understand and i think a probably a critical thing too is that uh, i mean in terms of repatriating people the the, the government doesn't seem to feel obliged to continue supporting people who have had to leave their uh, their homes in the affected area and they're saying that it's uh, so people are there, there's an intent incentive to come back to an area where people probably shouldn't be living right well it's a sort of weird in you know reverse incentive in the sense that their subsidies will be removed you know that they will lose their subsidies so they yeah. will be forced to go back in order to survive financially and i think as far as i can tell from sort of looking into this a bit is that it's also to do with sort of economics i mean it's all to do with economics and and the idea of these prefectures you know are not going to survive economically unless they have residents from whom they can levy income tax you know and yeah. residence tax and they, if there's no one living there they can't do it so it's a way to sort of restart these economies within within the areas that had been evacuated and and has absolutely nothing to do with whether or not they're genuinely safe for people to live in so they're being almost sort of, you know, blackmailed back, I think, mm. by having the 
prospect of their subsidy taken away, even though what what they're being asked to move back into, there's absolutely no certainty about the safety for anyone to live there. And so what's happening is that the only the people who are moving back are the elderly, who think, well, I you know I want to die where I am grew up and also the disease would probably outlive them anyway if they were to get any of the um, you know illnesses caused by the exposures to radiation so that doesn't help the economy because they're retired they're not going to have income so it's a big problem so that's why they've been trying to sort of lure young people by these sort of shiny happy people kind of mm. <laughs> infomercials they've been doing to say look it'll be wonderful and you should come and you'll be making this great contribution to mm. restarting this area and it, I, it'll be interesting to see if if that works. It seems like all these initiatives, I mean, they seem to, to, you know, just, I imagine to most of our listeners, it just seems downright criminal what's, what's been taking place here and, and what the, the government is allowing. What, what is, what do you find, uh, international bodies, uh, are, are doing or should be doing to, to hold them accountable? I mean, the International Atomic Energy Agency, for example, I mean, what, do, do they have some sort of accountability? Well, they're not going to hold anyone accountable because their whole mandate is to promote nuclear energy. And so, in fact, they're part of the problem because a lot of the information that they put out is completely misleading about, you know, the amount of radiation that's out there, the amount that can harm you and so forth. I mean, that's, they're not, you know, they have a, the, about the biggest conflict of interest possible. So, you know, and even the World Health Organization, unfortunately, are completely beholden to the IEA. They're not allowed to go public about anything to do with nuclear nuclear without running it through the IAEA first. So that, you know, there's been a big move for a long time to separate the WHO off IAEA so that it can actually do independent work that's not vetted by an agency that's there to promote nuclear power. But, I, I you know, there are three TEPCO officials that within Japan now who are being prosecuted, um, and there have been calls for, for TEPCO to be tried. And obviously TEPCO is, you know, at the center of all this, but by no means alone, given the collusion that went on between the government industry and the regulator. So uh, the idea of anyone sort of being prosecuted or held accountable, um, there are some, there are three probably largely token officials from TEPCO who are going to be held accountable, but there's a lot of sense that they, you know, nothing much will happen. It's sort of a show trial almost. But, um, yeah, I mean, that's the, the criminal responsibility issues never never really come up for any of these things. Mm-hmm. But, you know, in a way, advocating to have nuclear power plants is sort of criminal mm-hmm. because you, you know that they could kill tens of thousands of people, if not more. So that seems like the wrong thing to advocate for when you're trying to save the planet. <laughs> I guess I have maybe one final question on this point uh, with regard to the cover-up, and uh, that has to do with the role of media. Yeah. Uh, how, how would you, give, given the immensity of the, the, the problem, uh, how would you say the media has fared as uh, either uh, uh, in terms of holding power to account? Is it com- outright complicit? Well, I can address the U.S. media more easily because I don't speak Japanese, so I don't know exactly, you know, I can only tell you what my colleagues in Japan have said about the Japanese media, which is that it sort of, it spouted the government line and therefore misled people. Although there have been some good, I think there's been the Azahi Shimbun for one that's actually, you know, broken rank and, and done some digging and been more outspoken. But what I find here at least is that there's, and, and, it, and it's been true not just for Fukushima, it was true actually during the Iraq war. 
and, and there was another lesson not learned where it was was clear that the media just bought the government line that if you were a general or a government spokesperson in a tie, you were believable. And if you were a sort of wild-eyed peace activist, <laughs> you know, you were not. And that that's continued and, and has continued with the Fukushima uh, disaster. I mean, I found even on our NPR, our public radio network, right after the Fukushima disaster, they would have people on who were there to sort of deny the seriousness of it or downplay the impact or say that a little radiation was good for you. And, and to get, get a chance to, to put the other point of view continues to be very difficult. And for whatever reason, you know, they want somebody with a PhD. And when they find that person with a PhD, it's got to be somebody who's, who's a proponent of, of nuclear energy and not a critic. So it's not to say they don't get on, but I think it's still extremely skewed. And there's a tendency to think, well, the government's right, so we'll we'll have this person because he's a spokesperson from the Department of Energy and therefore he's more believable than a spokesperson from the Union of Concerned Scientists. Well, you know, that's not true. Okay. Well, Linda Pence-Gunter, I want to thank you very much for uh, sharing these perspectives with us, uh, especially on the uh, occasion of this uh, a uh, rather tragic anniversary, and I uh, look forward to speaking to you again at some point. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Much. It was a pleasure to be on. We've been joined by Linda Pence Gunter, international specialist at Beyond Nuclear, which is a Tacoma Park-based environmental advocacy group. You're listening to the Global Research News Hour, broadcast out of Winnipeg on campus community radio station CKUW 95.9 FM and on the Progressive Radio Network at prn.fm. We are also podcast on the website, globalresearch.ca. To bring her own unique insights into the state of the Earth and human society five years after the Fukushima Daiichi nuclear tragedy. We're joined by Mimi German. Mimi German is a past guest of this program. She is a self-described Earth activist with lifelong involvement in the anti-nuclear movement. She's active with the grassroots group No Nukes Northwest and a founder of Radcast.org, which monitors radiation readings worldwide. So Mimi German, welcome back to the Global Research News Hour. Thank you. One year later and the same old, same old, huh? Unfortunately, it seems. Um, I guess I was just uh, g giving us this kind of a, a retrospective show. I was wondering if uh, you could just sort of maybe uh, either correct or, or amend the record a bit. Uh, what the official record is that uh, there was a magnitude 9 earthquake which triggered the tsunami that flooded the cooling generators, thereby causing them to fail, resulting in the meltdowns of three of the six reactors at the Fukushima Daiichi facility. I'm wondering if, if there's anything, any, any new revelations about the extent of the damage to those facilities and what caused them. Well, after five years, more information is finally coming out. We knew in the beginning, we meaning activists um, who were paying attention, that the earthquake did a lot more damage to um, Fukushima, to the nuke plants, than um, had was previously, you know, talked about. Everything was about the tsunami, and the reason that I think that they let the tsunami take the, the brunt of it is that 
they got to say, well, we couldn't have predicted a tsunami. All of these were lies. It's just, you know, it's crazy to even talk about sometimes because it's just one lie after another. The earthquake created cracks in the buildings, and this was a really big problem. Um, the tsunami followed and created its set of problems with generators and, you know, everything else that followed. The meltdown, we were told in the beginning, didn't even happen. We knew that it had, but we were all told across the world that it hadn't happened. And we now know that it was a triple meltdown and melt through and melt away. We still don't know where um, the corium is. So, you know, that's where, that's where we are five years later. We have no idea where the corium is, um, how deep, how massive this whole issue goes. And a lot of it's speculation and a lot of it's lies, a lot of it's deceit, a lot of it's cover-up. And what we do know is that the cancer rates are already going up and they're going to continue to go up uh, mm. as years come. Yes. Uh, maybe you could talk to that, address that point, uh, that uh, especially, specifically in Japan, uh, what's been concealed about uh, the uh, the hazards uh, close to the facility. I mean, there was uh, the, the immediate zone that people were evacuated from. A lot of them went to areas that, uh, but they, they didn't take into consideration the amount of radiation that was hitting the mountains and is is it right. ends up coming back. Right. What you're saying is they, they sent everybody north. They sent them right into the plume. And um, it was just awful, an awful thing to witness. And so we haven't seen the bulk of the cancers yet. It takes a while to get cancer, but we're going to see it. Um, we're starting to see the children's thyroid cases come up. Uh, that's multiplying. It's also multiplying here on the West Coast. Um, but you know, it's all obfuscated in lies because Abe immediately put a um, um, what's it called? a clampdown on information going out from Japan. Doctors weren't allowed to talk about what they were seeing. They also weren't allowed to tell their patients what they were seeing, and that was that was the hardest thing to deal with for me. Was that you go to your doctor to find out what's wrong with you and hope to get a fix for what's wrong with you, or at least to be told the truth. And they weren't allowed to do that without risk of losing their licenses. Yes. That's how that's how evil the Abe government is. It was then and it still is now. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're, like I said at the beginning, we're still dealing with the same thing over and over again. It's just worse because Fukushima happened five years ago, but it's also happened every single day since that moment it all first occurred every single day over a thousand days later this is still going on and it's going to go on into decades and into the hundreds of years and for whatever life remains it's in the it's it's rearranged dna we will see that we'll see that in japan we'll see that in different places across the world and unfortunately we won't be able to say this is clearly linked to what happened at Fukushima, the same way that we can't say definitively this is clearly linked to what happened at Chernobyl, the same way that we can't say this is clearly linked to the leakage at Hanford um, or the leaks every single day at over 400 nuclear power plants across the world. You know, we don't have an actual tag that says this is from that. This is from the radiation that leaked out. And that's why nuclear power has to be shut down immediately. And and just, I mean, just to go, I mean, I have more to speak on, on the nuclear point, but when 
you look at the way uh, the, the the politics of the situation and uh, the the entrenched interests that have all conspired, even extending down to that patient doctor relationship, that there's there's a whole kind of culture of concealment and cover up that uh, it, it seems it's it's like the, the prime directive that's that's going to that has to be protected at all costs. Or do you see any examples of uh, contrition that? Uh, that, that that might where okay we made a mistake we we've got to change things in some fundamental way, but it, the it's, only the only contrition has been with a couple of people from the Japanese government, um, but like that was it. It's hardly enough to even talk about. When we see it, it's important to recognize it. But overall, we have to remember that nuclear power um, was based on uh, the need for nuclear war. And that was based on secrecy, and it all started with the Manhattan Project. So it was so secretive. It was a culture of um, secrecy. No one knew what the job was for the person that they might have bunked with. You were not allowed to speak. And that has gone right through the culture of the nuclear industry through today. It's never changed. It's never faltered. It's always been a lie. So that that even to say even to say that nuclear power is for is for an energy source that's a lie. Nuclear power was created for the bomb. wasn't created for an energy source. And that has implications for the the structure of institutions like the International Atomic Energy Agency and the right. Department of which, Energy, which was created out of the lie, which perpetuates the lie. All of these international atomic agency, the international nuclear, you know, anything with nuclear in its name is from the very same egg that hatched the Manhattan Project. You know, it all starts somewhere and it all began there. Mm. And it began with secrecy and it began with um, a cover up. And that's never been broken. In fact, today, um, one of the things that has been unique that's happened, you know, in the last week is that we have seven NRC engineers, nuclear regulatory uh, commission engineers, who came out against the commission, the nuclear regulatory commission. And that's a really big deal. It's the first time that's ever happened where someone, not just someone, but seven people came out saying that we have a big problem within the NRC and um, within the nuclear power structures within nuclear power plants, and it needs to get fixed. And they said these seven people who really are whistleblowers, so they didn't use their names, um, probably for fear of their lives, um, you know, they can't uh, – they said all, all nuclear power plants need to be shut down, like today, to fix these problems. So it, it won't be done. We know it won't be done. Um, the Nuclear Regulatory Commission said right after Fukushima happened that, oh, yeah, we need to make some changes. And they actually, it seemed for a minute, might even have believed themselves in saying that they need to make changes in their own laws for protecting the people. But that was short-lived. And no sooner had they said it than they backed off saying it, saying, oh, no, we don't need that. We don't need changes. We don't need ventilation systems in our nuclear power plants, you know. Everything that they said we needed, all of a sudden we didn't need. Back to the secrecy, back to the protective, you know, 
you can't really speak out. You can't speak out at all against nuclear power. The only people who speak out against it are us. Even even the people who pretend that they're for green energy, so-called green energy, are not for green energy. They're for nuclear power. The whole program Obama thinks he's in favor of, you know, is all about bringing in new technology. New technology stands for small modular reactors. And small modular reactors are nuclear it's nuclear power. Mm-hmm. It's not small, it's not inexpensive, it's deadly. You know, it's the same thing over and over again with new names. Mark Jacobson, he's you know, people people cling on to him and say, Isn't he fantastic? He's an environmentalist. He's not. He's a nuclear lover. All of these people, Obama is a nuclear lover. You know, they all love this stuff. I don't know why they love this stuff. Um, I mean, it's got to be for money, and that's it. To what extent – sorry to interrupt, but I, I no, was just uh, – I know that uh, there's been a, a tendency to see Fukushima, that, that tragedy, as, as related to uh, Japanese – uh, failures, failures of the Japanese, and no doubt there have been some, but I think it's important to note that uh, the design for those actu- actual reactors uh, were uh, General Electric uh, by U.S.-based company. And right. Um, those are, the Fukushima reactor is a GE um, boiling one. water reactor yeah. Mark One, and we have, um, I think, over 20 Mark Ones in the United States, and we have more GE... Uh, boiling water reactor Mark IIs in the United States. All of these are based on a, a flawed design. Every single one is based on a flawed design. These designs are incredibly dangerous, and when things happen to the nuclear power plant, there's no safety mechanism. And this is what happened at Fukushima. We saw this go down, and this is what can happen at ours. And people hear hear that, and they say, well, you know, it's not like we're going to have a, a, a tidal wave, a tsunami, um, on the Columbia River, which is where um, the Washington nuclear power plant is, which is a Mark II. You know, it's based right on the Columbia River in um, Tri-Cities in Washington, eastern Washington. No, we're not going to have that. But if we have an earthquake that we now know can hit that area, that area right where that, right where the Columbia Generating Station sits, there's no protective design for that plant either. It's a GE Mark II. So the Mark 1s and Mark 2s need to be shut down immediately, and they won't be. How do you you know, ma- this is the reality. It, it, oh, it just happened in Japan. <laughs> you know, isn't that convenient for everybody? It's all about convenience to stay in the mode of denial. Yeah, there's an interesting term, denial. There's uh, certainly an incentive from, uh, I guess, the, the, the financial quarters and the, the these elite level interests to, to maintain business as usual. Um, but I mean, is, is, is it simply, uh, I mean, one wonders if there isn't some sort of a death wish here that you know, would block you from something that's so, you know, well, it's I, clear I, I, what the impact that. is. We've yeah, seen I, what happened in food in Japan and, and, you know, it can happen here and there's no scientific or other reason why not. Exactly. I do think that humans have a death wish. I think that the bulk of people in um, the corporate world have some form of a death wish. The things that we do to the earth that is supposed to support us, that we kill the host that supports us, that is a death wish. What else do you call that? It's not negligence. It's a death wish. 
you when you frack and you destroy the water structures beneath the earth so that you no longer can have clean water, you can't fix those things. That's a death wish. Mm. These people know these things, the people who do them. You know, when you um, extract oil from the ocean and everything goes wrong and all the oil spills into the ocean, it's a death wish. We need our oceans. Mm-hmm. You know, the earth needs the oceans. We're one earth, you know. And so I do think that there's a major, major death wish from a lot of people on this planet. Mm-hmm. When we look- That's part of the sickness, you know, yeah. that we have all been born into. Yeah. In terms of the, uh, I guess, late-breaking impacts, uh, I know of a, a study that talked about uh, tuna that's been harvested from the Pacific Ocean, and uh, they're finding all of them uh, compl- containing uh, doses of radiation. I know that, uh, I think, uh, Helen Caldicott, among others, are, are saying that, and, and Arnie Gunderson are saying that uh, they would resist uh, or they would not uh, consume anything coming out of the Pacific Ocean. Um, that's the that's the wisest thing to do. These are things that we've known now for over three years. Um, the results started to come in, but nobody wanted to listen to them. The mainstream media didn't want to put them out because, again, it's fear. So who wants to freak out everybody? But there's money you know? at stake too, right? Exactly. There's a lot of money at stake. So you know, so they just don't tell anybody. Look at Flint, Michigan. You know, they knew the government knew what they were doing. Uh, the governor knew he was poisoning the people. But there was money at stake. Hmm. The same thing. You can look anywhere and see Fukushima, the idea of Fukushima everywhere. And it can be seen in any kind of earth tragedy. It's all the same. It's people not caring about what they're doing for money. And, and again, you know, what's the underlying thing? It's about um, no longer valuing life. At all, real life, you know, plant life, um, um, biota, you know, uh, green structures, humanity, um, animals, trees. There's just a. It's like it's like humans have a zero tolerance for anything alive anymore. Hmm. It's very weird. It's weird to witness it, including themselves. Well, yeah, Hmm. yeah. I I saw this thing this morning. A friend of mine put it out, and I I mentioned it to you, and I I wanted to share it because it's just beautiful. Mm -hmm. It's by someone. It's by a Japanese person named Zio. And it's called Fukushima Fallout Falls in Quiet Raindrops. Fukushima Fallout Falls in Quiet Raindrops. Geiger counters beep when the wind blows, shaking the nuclear dust from the trees. There is no bang or booming sound. Those exposed to the deadly mix of toxins are slowly dying, their insides burning where before there was no fire, lungs shutting down, heart murmuring and weaker with each successive exposure. No sounds. There was only billowing reactor steam that could only be heard if you were close enough. The clouds become enemies of life where before they brought it now. They take it from people all over the pump all over the planet. It's been two years since the disaster started. The media still has almost a total blackout. Data is being manipulated to reflect lower, less dangerous levels of toxins emitted and already present in the environment. 
And to think, we voted these people in to protect us, to watch over us, to use their authority and our tax dollars to fix disasters. Now they stand helpless in the headlights of corporate greed. This was written by a Japanese person in the second year after Fukushima happened. that in Japan uh, it's been underreported but there's been a lot of mobilization against efforts to bring uh, back bring nuclear back online under the uh, Abe government and so I'm wondering uh, you know, we're you know here in, in your country in the United States there's a presidential election and uh, um, I, I, I guess I'm just kind of curious to know what is the the responsible response on the part of people who don't want to be uh, enslaved by this, uh, what you call the idea of Fukushima, if we want to kind of break away from that whole, you know, death cult, if that's the way to put it. What, what, how do we go about it? What do we do? How are we to orient ourselves moving forward to, to make some kind of a, a difference? Well, the first step is to recognize two things. And the first is that any organization, at least in the United States, that is supposed to protect the people like the Environmental Protection Agency, it won't and it doesn't protect the people. It won't ever protect the people. It was not made to protect the people. Uh, the Nuclear Regulatory Commission or Committee, that was not made to protect the people. It's um, what, what we are told is it exists so that they can monitor what's going on at nuclear power stations and then have them have the power stations fix whatever the problems are. That doesn't happen. They work for the nuclear industry. The EPA works for the people with the money. It's all corporations. So if we are to make any kind of changes at all, um, it will take a complete reconstruction and redesign of our governmental system, which does not look like it's going to happen. Um, even if Bernie Sanders gets in here to become the president, which would definitely be a good start, um, even if that happened, people would also have to understand that when they vote for the Congress and the Senate here, they have to vote for people who do not take money from corporations. We have no people in the Congress and in the Senate who don't take money from corporations. The only person, I think, is Bernie Sanders, who doesn't do that. Um, so there's really, until people decide that they want to come in and, and rearrange things, um, we are going to continue to see the same thing over and over again. And realistically, having a complete redo on our Senate and Congress here so that uh, a president who could make proper changes can make those changes uh, realistically, boy, that's a that's a long haul. I'm not saying it can't happen. I'm just saying I don't even know if we're going to be here due to you know rapid climate change. If you know if if we even could do that, um, climate change is winning, and um, we did this. You know, humans made this happen. So we are now living in the results of what we created. Every single time you have a child, you perpetuate this problem at this point.
there's people out there, there's children out there you could adopt, you know, but we choose instead to perpetuate the problem by having more children. And I'm talking about today. You know, this is all part of the problem. It's all about consumption. People aren't ready to not be um, consumers. Who wants to do that? Hmm. So we are going to have a perpetual situation. We're going to have more Fukushimas, and they're going to come soon. Um, you know, we're seeing higher levels of radiation right now in different parts of Europe. Things are, things are happening all the time. England is showing higher levels of radiation. The West Coast is seeing higher levels of radiation right now, and this is still coming from Fukushima. Diablo Canyon was built on the edge of a cliff in California, Diablo Canyon Nuclear Power Plant. When that big earthquake comes here, that is in the water. Mm. So, you know, these are the things that we've done. And then we want all of a sudden to have a fix. How do we move forward? What do we do? Well, you know what? It's really too late. It's, it's a hella too late at this point. Uh, I'm not saying, you know, don't try. We're still here, you know. And while we're here, we might as well attempt to live like better people than we were yesterday. Because why not? Why not go for the better thing than who we've been and what we've done? Because what we've done and who we've been created every single problem that we're in right now. And people like to think they didn't take part in that. Look at who you voted for. Look at how you live. You know, look at how you live. Look at how many cars you drive. Look at how many lights you turn on. You know, every time you turn on a light in the U.S., you're supporting the nuclear power um, companies. Hmm. I mean, people don't understand connection here. And here we are, completely disconnected. We are so disconnected that we have disconnected ourselves from the earth that we live on. And in the process of disconnecting from the earth, we've killed the earth. Yeah. Brilliant. So it's uh, it's like we were dying, but uh, just haven't stopped moving yet. It's quite amazing. I mean, it's really quite an amazing thing. If I were an alien and, you know, 40 years coming here to see what we've done, I'd be like, wow, why'd you guys do this? I'm serious. I yeah. mean, none of this makes any sense. And we did it all for money, which we created in the first place. Mm-hmm. You know, and oh, money, everybody wants money. And at the same time, most of us, 99% of us, don't have enough of it. And we struggle really hard in life. And yet we still honor money. Yeah. You know, nobody's saying, hey, let's make movements to um, bring back uh, trade, real trade. Like, I do this and I'm going to give you this because this is what I know how to do. Whether it's creating a, a vessel that would be useful for you, like something to carry water in or wh- whatever it is, or plumbing, you know, and you do this. So let's, let's barter. Nobody talks about these things because, oh, that's so not money, you know, and no matter how much people say, well, what can we do? What can we do? If you give them ideas on what they can do, they're not going to want to do that. Mm-hmm. I don't know why that is. It's a, it's a, it's a sickness. It really, it's a sickness. Yeah. It's a well, death cult. Yeah. And, um, well, I'm just, uh, just thinking of, about a, an old story I, I read once. So it was a kind of an allegory of, uh, the, of, of human, basically, the, the call about the last man on earth behind the, these huge walls. And there were these sands that were just 
covering over the whole entire surface of the planet and that at one point it, it got into the point where it's starting to trickle over the the edge of the wall and so you know the the last man on earth uh, responds by picking up a, a pail and uh, and a shovel and starts taking that uh, sand and turning it into a sand castle so the last man on earth happened to be a child and so it's uh, i guess th- this idea of you know that you 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 can still continue you you can still function instead of just you know saying you know giving into this idea that well we're all going to die or whatever you you can still engage in creative activity even knowing that your demise is nigh well and the reality is we're all going to die anyway right. right i mean and people like to forget that fact too so again if we have this awareness that we're all going to die whether it's all together or, um, or relatively altogether due to climate, or you know, just singly, one at a time, which it always is regardless of how you look at it, it's one at a time. Um, I would think that you might want to choose to try to do something better with your time, with your life, you know. And yet again, it's not what we do. It's just not what we do. Yeah. Let's kind of wake up to our real potential before we uh, uh, just fade out. Exactly. It, I think if, if anything happens from all of this, it, it will be that. The, the last moment, the last blink, you know, is the waking up moment and then we're gone. I do think about that as well. Well, Mimi Gurman, uh, in, in spite of the subject matter, I actually did really enjoy this conversation and... Uh, I think that many of our listeners will be, uh, um, I, I, I hope that they'll be very uh, um, somehow comforted by uh, what they've heard over the course of this conversation. Thank you so much for the work you do, and thank you for, for sharing this time with us. You're welcome, and I would like to send um, peaceful thoughts to all the people of Japan on this fifth anniversary of the largest Earth tragedy that we've known since humans have been here. Okay. We've been speaking with Mimi Gurman, Earth activist and founder of Radcast.org. She joined us from Portland, Oregon. You've been listening to the Global Research News Hour. You can listen to our programs every week on CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg and on partnering radio stations across Canada and the United States. We are now also broadcast on the Progressive Radio Network at prn.fm. You can also download each episode from the website globalresearch.ca. To leave feedback on this program, email globalresearchnewshour at gmail.com. I'm series host, creator, and producer Michael Welch. Join us again next week.